great cold open hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of taking on hollywood i'm sunny and as always i'm joined by alex the other one yes the other one uh, and welcome to taking on hollywood the show where we give our take on hollywood uh this week we're going to be talking about our film of the week which is charlie and the chocolate factory the tim burton version 2005 what a th- what a what a year what a year for movies <laughs> uh, what, what came out and- in 2005 <laughs> Uh, Revenge of the Sith, Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Did one of the Lord of the Rings come out then? I don't know. No, they they were they were long long gone. Really? Yeah. Anyway, we're also going to be talking about story circles, storytelling, why it's all getting a bit too convoluted, and the news. Just the news in general, or like movie news? Um, preferably movie news. But knowing us, we'll probably end up talking about something else. Who knows? So, stick around or don't. It's a it's a free world, but. Let's get into it. Burton's Chocolate Factory. Tim Burton's Chocolate Factory. A world of pure imagination and also slight, slightly terrifying visuals. Horrible gothic nightmare hellscape for kids. That's what I call it. <laughs> Isn't that just Tim Burton, though? Can we just start with um, what was our overall opinion on this? I'll, I'll uh, go, you go first. first. I'll, yeah. I'll go first. Um, I, 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 I enjoyed it. Well, no, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. It entertained me. I chuckled during yeah. parts of it, but I wouldn't say I would go, mm, yes, this is perfect to show my children if I had any children. You know, if I, I wouldn't go, yes, what a perfect adaptation of this film, of this book. Even. Yeah. Well, I think I agree with both films. I like both films. I, I know that Wilder's, uh, the one with Wilder is obviously I'm hesitant to say better because they're so different, but I enjoy it more. But this, I will say this, I've read the book uh, several times as a kid and I've, I revisited a few chapters in preparation for this just to see, uh, because I was like, Oh, is this in the book? Burton's version is a lot more faithful to the book. It's a lot, but it also builds upon the book a lot more than the original movie. It adds some substance. It adds some backstory to Willy Wonka, which is both good and bad. And we'll get into that. Um, cause the film did kind of feel strangely convoluted at times. Yes. I love the visuals. I loved the spectacle that Burton created. I thought some of the visuals were occasionally though, like, Oh, that's a bit like too dark. And, but his entire interpretation of Willy Wonka and most things is dark and twisted and kind of more yeah. complex than just being. You know, the original is like a world of pure imagination, and Gene Wilder kind of makes Wonka feel a bit mysterious. But if Tim Burton was a building, he would be a... Uh, he would be a Tudor mansion. Yeah, a gothic church. Or just a graveyard, yeah. which isn't a building, but... <laughs> He'd be a graveyard inside a gothic church. That's what Tim Burton would be. But I love him. I love him for that. Like, he has a style. He's one of the most stylized yeah, directors I know. Like, his Batman rendition is my favourite rendition of batman on the screen so i i think he he's what, very what, good what, at telling what, what stories are the other mediums that apart from comics that batman's been in or tv um 
he's yeah, the TV, been in TV movies. I, there's probably some Batman books, but games on the screen. Oh yeah, game. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I, there's I, been tons I just, of games. I just appeared to be uh, stupid because I completely forgot about TV and games. We're, we're back in the 1950s. All there are TV and uh, books, radio, and the wireless, as as they would say. Anyway, so yeah, um, I love the visuals, the spectacle, but the thing that really makes this movie stand out is Elfman's score. Holy mackerel. It's so good. This is Danny Elfman, isn't it? Yeah, Danny Dad Dan, Danny Elfman? Yeah, Danny. Uh, is it Daniel Danny? Danny? Anyway. It's Danny Elfman, yeah. I think. Anyway. It's leave so a comment good. if you uh, know who is yet what his name is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is, but now, now I'm double now I'm uh, questioning myself. Yeah. Dan Danny Elfman's score is so good. Like he takes the original lyrics of the book because I went back and checked. Pretty much, almost word for word. There's there's a few bits that he cut out and bits that he added in and swapped around, but he took the original lyrics from the book and actually turned them into really good and really catchy songs. And it's better than hearing the same Oompa Loompa song over and over five times. Fun fact: Rodal hated that movie. I love it with a passion. He 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 didn't think it was faithful to the book, which is why they hired Burton for this one because the Rodal yeah, because, state because when everyone trusted thinks- him. <laughs> <laughs> thinks children, fr- friendly children outstation. They think Tim Burton. His, his wife said that she thought Tim Burton would be a great director for it because he seems to have that weird mind. And she also said that um, Burton is a. She said his interpretation of the script was very loyal to the book, which is what Rodal would have wanted. So yeah, I guess I take the word for that. But then there are some really things that are things that are really far from the book. Where you're like, I don't think he would have liked that at all. So um, it's yeah. Are we gonna start? I think I like the start of the film. I like um, I like well, I like the I like the I just like the buckets, all of them. And there's a lot of like, just like British character actors in this film. Like um, the guy who plays uh, T- Charlie's dad. He's been in a few films. I'm a big fan of. And he's in Richard Iwadi's Submarine. He plays a dad in that. He's really funny. Yeah. He's in Game of Thrones. Plays what? the guy who chops off Jamie Lannister's hand. Oh, seriously! I was like, "Oh my god, it's Locke from Game of Thrones." <laughs> uh, he was really cool. Um, yeah. Then Helen the Bottom Carter, of course. You know, ex-wife of Tim Burton. Yeah. So, and she's in all his films. Like, I did like. Um, I liked. So I liked the start when it was all like all this world building. It was like Grandpa Joe used to work at Wonka Factory. Uh, Wonka. Yeah. Like I loved all that, and I was like, and it was sort of like that sort of like it was like nice exposition. It wasn't like you know someone beating you over the head with a with a big book, just saying learn this. Yeah. It was just like, uh, and then I also liked the the just the family. They all had like nice chemistry together. All the actors. They all sort of uh, Charlie. He's quite a good actor, you know, for a kid. Yeah, yeah. I a lot of people criticized him. I thought he was fine. And said that he was too perfect, but that's the point. If you look at the book, Charlie's a perfect child. Yeah, exactly. Like he doesn't do anything wrong. That's the intention. Like that's why he deserves it. Whereas in the original, he was flawed. Like he he went behind Wonka's back and drank fizzy lifting drinks. Oh yeah. He he, he wasn't perfect. And people like that, I guess, cuz it makes him more of a deep character, but he was kind of a teenager. No, I think it just makes makes him a bit more relatable, you know. Yeah, and he was, but he was kind of a teenager in the original ish. He, he wasn't quite as young. He was a bit more human. Yeah. But I, I like the characterization of Charlie being perfect because, again, Burton deals in extremes. 
he, there's none of it's real. It's all very fantasy and kind of like. I mean, even even that, so, even if they did make him like you know, do, like maybe go behind Wonka's back in this one, he would have still become out as the best person in that room. Well, yeah, compared to the other kids because they're all well, we'll get into them. Yeah, we'll get into them at some point. They're horrible, but I like their portrayal in this I liked, film a lot more. I like the how, original. Um, I, I can't remember if this happens in the book, but um, how he gets the Wonka bar for his birthday. And it doesn't, yeah. He doesn't immediately get it, and then he gets another one, and he doesn't get it, and then just by and then in the book, I remember he gets the the note, he finds it in the snow, yeah, and then then that gets the whole the chance encounter is what gets it. It's not people trying to get it. I I like that, but my one of the things I think the film should have changed is that when Charlie, I don't, I didn't really like the double fake out where it was like. Oh, he might get it. Oh, he didn't get it. Oh, it's like his birthday, and then his and then his grandpa gave him a coin, like a massive dollar coin. It feels like they're compensating because I think they should have spent more time outside the factory at the start. Mm. It's it feels a bit rushed, and I felt like that was a way of being like, oh no, he's trying, he's doing something. It would have been nice, I think, to do an alternate interpretation of the book where because it would have increased the bond between Charlie and his grandpa if they if he gave him the coin and that was the one. Like his grandfather's generosity was what got him there. That would have been nice. Nothing, nothing will ever beat the musical number from the 1971 version. Oh my God. Where the guy, oh, that was amazing. I've got a golden ticket. Such a good song. And this one, he just like sort of just like has a spasm and jumps out of bed. <laughs> and it's like, then he's just like, he's like <laughs> he has a little like, ooh. And then he's mobile. And then the actor had to go home for the day, have a lie down. He's like, oh, God, I'm just like, I've exhausted myself. It's like proper mobile, like immediately. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, going back to the start of the film, the the flashbacks, they were something they took from the book directly. What, like, which, exactly which, which flashbacks? The one with Grandpa Joe? Uh, the, the, I, th- I think, I think I, I'm not sure if Grandpa Joe worked for Wonka, but I know that he tells a story about the prince and the chocolate Oh, the prince. Oh, that, that, was, that was a bit like straight. That was like I, very yeah, dark. I thought it was it? strange and I th- yeah, like, I like, thought it was Burton being strange, but then I read the book and I was like, "Oh no, this yeah, is." Yeah, I, I don't remember it being in the book. Yeah, but it had like a weird atmosphere. I remember watching it as a kid, and it was like a weird atmosphere. I was like, yeah. "Oh god, it's like mental case." Like, why would he? Why would he build? It would like couldn't he do it? Like, uh, I guess it's a fantasy world, but and they, any, they, any sane person would say, "No, I can't build you a massive giant palace that you'll drown in." And uh, uh, Burton did what he does to so much. He made it really overly dramatic and like scary when really it was just a guy who built a chocolate thing and then it melted but he made it like giant chunks of chocolate coming down like drowning people and destroying things and, <laughs> oh jesus well, no, christ do you see them survive I, th- I think they survived but but who else was in that palace they've probably got diabetes now <laughs> yeah jesus but, just from exposure they've developed type 3 diabetes or something like that I liked the flashbacks gave Wonka so much mystery. They always kept his face obscured, which I liked. So he always had that aura of I mean, mystery. I mean, not really, not really when he's hidden behind that big lollipop. You can sort of still see him. He looks, you can see yeah, him. But I like, I like, I like that he's not just there. Yeah. It's still a mystery. You're still like, what? Who's behind there? What's he doing? What does he look like? What's this man? It, it, it makes you feel the mystery that, that the people in this universe feel of like, who's Willy Wonka? Where is he now? What was he like? He's almost like a, a, a myth. Well, he is a he is a mythical figure. Yeah, because no one's seen him. I mean, he aged phenomenally <laughs> twenty years, yeah. and he hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> it's childlike wonder. It's uh, young at heart. It'll keep me from aging. 
should we move on to the other other kids and how they the yeah like the introduction to all the other kids like they sort of modernize modernize it the one last thing i'll say that bothered me about the flashbacks before we move on to that is why did Grandpa Joe not tell Charlie that he worked for Wonka? What in, in the ten in the ten years that the yeah, kid's been alive? And Charlie had been painstakingly building this giant chocolate factory out of toothpaste caps. <laughs> oh my which, god! By the way, I thought that was a really nice thing because in the book, his father works in the factory doing toothpaste caps. So it was nice that Bert was like, "I know we can show this kid is obsessed with the factory by having him build a diorama of it out of the toothpaste." That was a nice I, little addition but but why why did grandpa joe wait that long <laughs> his dad is insanely overqualified for that toothpaste job if he can fix the yeah. robot that replaces him what is he doing yeah sticking on caps also wonka they they basically say wonka ruined like got his dad fired they said with the obsession of candy bars going up because of the golden tickets people got more cavities oh, and they got him sacked <laughs> yeah they got more money and replaced him with a robot i was like wait a minute so willy wonka got this man fired, created a massive hole in the roof of their house at the end of the movie, knowing that he'd leave them there because he didn't want them in the factory. This man's not... He's not, <laughs> like, lucid. He's not lucid. He's completely off his rocker. He's just he's ruining these people's lives. Yeah, and he would have just taken... He would, <laughs> I'll destroy your job. I'll destroy your take, house. Take your only son and just... <laughs> yeah, I'll take your only son and just never bring him back. And, and say that he can never have contact with you again. <laughs> this man's a nightmare. Get away from this man. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, that that's that's where I, I noticed Burton putting spectacle over story and characterization. Because they obviously made him crash through the roof of the house for spectacle. They made his dad lose his job, and they said it was because of Wonka, because it, it made it kind of cool and connected. But in the well, end... It's in it, the book, isn't it? I, I don't it? know. I think it might have been. But in the end, all these things kind of are at the detriment to Willy Wonka's character, just because it looks cool to have an elevator come through the roof of a house. I was like, okay. Uh, okay, so we move on to the other kids. Augustus Gloop, which they digitally smooth his face and make it weird brighter. I, it's weird. Did you notice this when you watched it? I, I, did you know? Did you see? Did you? Did you at least see he was like I, very I, smooth I face? I didn't think it was digital. I thought it was just really heavy makeup because I know he wore prosthetics for the belly and stuff. Yeah, he he wasn't actually like that big in real life. No, and then like, oh god, he's constantly eating. That's a real trigger for me. I I can't. Like, I love people, that though. Watching people, it's, it's, watching people eat messily is like really. <laughs> oh yeah, bugs chewing, you, but, chewing your mouth open. It's good but again, it's, it supports why Burton was, was a great choice for this film, I think, because Rodal was a man of spectacle, fantasy, yeah. exaggerated characters, crazy worlds full of weird architecture, and you don't quite know what time it's set or what place it's set in. And Burton does that anyway. He creates these exaggerated, weird, and wonderful worlds that you can't quite put your finger on, like, what is this supposed to be? Most <laughs> so of them it, are British, but then there's a couple of yeah. American people around in t- Charlie's town, and it's all American currency, but most of them are British. Yeah. Like the guy who goes, the golden ticket in my shop. He's like completely like, yeah, that, that, that was really jarring. I was, I was like, like, wait a minute. I like that guy. Cause he was like nice. And then everyone else is like, I'll, yeah, give, I, I, I'll give you a fiver for it kid. And then this American lady comes out. I'll give you a $500 boy. And then in New York, it looks like the twenties when they're doing the compilations of around the world. 
New York looks like it's in the twenties. Japan looks like it's in the nineties. Japan looks like TV looks like he's in the eighties. Yeah. And is it Violet, the chewing gum girl? She looks like she's she looks like she's in the the eighties as well, in like a jumpsuit. Yeah. It's weird. Like there's no I like that though. It it creates this weird universe again and makes it more intriguing. Oh yeah. But but yeah, I, I like the shopkeeper. He was, he was, even though he had much less screen time in this in this version of the movie, I liked oh, him yeah, because he was um, like, he was like, go oh, Charlie, Because in the in the uh, other film, uh, it's like yeah. the, he gets his own um, song, a musical he, number, a musical number, and uh, it's like a proper sweet shop. But this one is just like a <laughs> what is it like a like a Sainsbury's local or a, uh, I guess if you're American, a Seven <laughs> Eleven. Yeah, it's weird. But he was really nice. Like I liked his in the original. It's just like go, Charlie. And this way, it's like go and don't let anyone stop you. Don't listen to them, Charlie. I like that. It was nice. It was a nice yeah. Okay, the kids, the um, kids, Mike TV scumbag. Uh, yeah, Vi- Violet horrible. Yeah, uh, chewing gum's disgusting as well. Yep, I hate it. Yep. Um, Augustus Gloop. Um, made me feel ill. Yep. Um, and uh, what's the other one? Veruca. Veruca Salt. Oh God, she's um, the worst. Worst one. I've seen people like that, and I would rather oh, drink bleach. Don't get me. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> we're, not, we're not on a calm down Kubrick yet. Are we missing other people? Uh, is no, that, is Charlie. Oh, Charlie. And that's it. And their parents. Uh, the parents oh, are God. equally horrible. The the Mike TV's dad. He um he that guy's in Breaking Bad. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Wow. He like play and he was like he's in Breaking Bad. And I was like, oh my god, it's it's dude from Breaking Bad. I th- I thought I recognised him from somewhere. But he, he's got but they they put a wig on him, give him a comb over wig. God, they all look like they're all ugh, they're all like they're, bit, they're all terrible parents. They all look a bit off, don't they? Yeah, but that's again that's that exaggeration. That's the point, character isn't it? and yeah, everything Tim Burton does is like that. I think that's just part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> like, much. But I loved, I loved that they were so terrible. All of them, every parent, every child was just awful. That it, it, it really emphasizes Charlie and his parents and how, like, he's the poorest kid out of all of them. He's got the least, but in terms of family, he's the richest there. Yeah, like, in the terms of values, like his. Even his grumpy grandpa George, who's like, "Well, it's a good job you did get one, you little bat," and then they cover his ears. Oh yeah, he's swearing. <laughs> I was like, "Jeez, <laughs> I loved him. He was my favorite of the grandparents because he was just like, yes, I relate to this man.' But you're relating to a <laughs> to an eighty-year-old man swearing. This is me. This is me in sixty years. <laughs> but no, I liked him because he got that nice moment at the end where he shows his like soft interior. Where he's like. If you give up, he basically says in a jokey way to Charlie, if you give up this golden ticket for us, I'll never forgive you. And that was nice. <laughs> and then they had the uh, one with like, you know, Alzheimer's, which is a bit sad. But she had like that a was sad. She had like a little, it, it was had, funny. It was funny. It's funny. And she had a little glimmer of like, oh, that, like, that made me smile. I was like, oh, that, that's the quote that they put on the poster of the movie on Amazon. Um, something like, nothing's impossible, Charlie. I she did, whispers yeah. that to him. That's nice. Um, so I love it's, grapes. I love grapes. <laughs> There's somebody at the door. It's just, it's like, what? Okay. Move there on. Was some, 
this is what I don't like. It's when they put weirdly adult jokes in kids' films. Yeah, yeah, yeah that does. Just commit me. to one one target audience, or or just be universal. Don't like. It's go. when like Wonka leads over and goes, "That would be cannibalism." As a kid, I was like, "What? Huh? Okay, I don't. What's cannibalism?" When um. Doesn't like Violet's mum make her innuendo, and you're like, "Oh God!" I was oh, like, that whole dynamic between her and Walker is like, "Yeah, she's flirting with him." I was like, "Oh my God!" Well, I, I can't remember what it was. I think I just blacked it out of my memory because of how traumatizing it was. Uh, I blacked yeah. out. I blacked out. Uh, there, there was a particularly like weird joke. Where I was like, "How did that make it into the movie? How did this get past like quality assurance?" Because it's it's nothing like the original book. And I cannot remember for the life of me what 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 they said. I blacked out a few times so out of place. during this film. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "What? The, yeah, what is going on?" I can't remember. It was really really buggy. You now there was one line where I was like, "What the?" It just really took me out of the movie. It was some um, kind of innuendo or something. Okay, so they go inside the factory. Yeah, and. Look, look, everyone's, I like, there is some juxtaposition between outside and inside. Like, inside is more yeah. magical, but it's still very shadowy and dark. It's like, if you're going to do one or the other. Yeah, I do like that the exterior of the factory is very dark and ominous. And then when you get inside, it gets a little bit lighter, but it, it, gets, but it still the, has the difference like isn't there enough. Yeah. Like, grim, because I think that's just his style. He likes a bit of grim architecture. Like, it's very gothic. Like, whenever it's a low angle shot looking up towards the ceiling, there's like, it's like an abyss above them. And then it's, you look down, it's like, it's like, a it's nice... like asking a horror writer to write a kid's book. They're like, okay, I'll try. But they kind of just don't really <laughs> Stephen know how, how. Stephen King writing a uh, kid's book. A nursery rhyme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't quite well, work. Well, it'd be like, a, it'd be oh, 300 pages, the nursery rhyme. Because he'd just be there. But <laughs> one of my favorite things about this movie is the introduction to Willy Wonka. I know a ton of people make fun of that oh whole my, like, weird oh animatronic sequence, Jesus but I loved Christ. it. I always have loved it. And that I, and I your, won't apologize. Um, a serial killer because... They set on no, fire and like slow down. I, I, I don't like, like that. But what I, creepy. <laughs> what I liked is he, first of all, they're all coming in. It's very grand. Wonka plays up to this massive like deity. He's becoming he's speaking on speakers like step forward. I am blah, blah, blah. I love all that. He's play. he's playing up. He's like, Hey, yeah. he, he's, he's playing to their, to what they think he is. Yeah. And he knows he's not. And then when they step up to the thing, it's 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 like you know how Wilder did the little limp, yeah, which is uh, amazing, and then fell forward. That was amazing, and he improvised because he's like, "I want to show that this man isn't everything he seems. He's got layers to him, and maybe you shouldn't he's trust him so much." He's a bit odd. Oh, that was sort of what he was going for. Yeah, because in the end, it was all one big. The whole point of Charlie the Chocolate Factory is it's one big show trick. trick yeah, but his yeah, one big trick. He just wants to find an heir, um, but. He plays himself up as this great man, and he just destroys all the expectations with this weird animatronic show that makes no sense. And then, and then he's supposed to be in the middle, and he's just next to them with like these weird alien yeah, I goggles. I love that. On. I love that. And then he's like, "I love that." Malcolm, because it shows that he, he doesn't. Th- a, he doesn't think he's this great man. He has such a weird noise voice. He has a strange yeah. voice, and it really gets on my nerves. Oh, a little. It it does get on my nerves, but but it shows that he doesn't think he's this great, great man who deserves to sit in a throne above everyone else. He's just like, I made chocolate, and I'm here with you guys, and this is all a bit of fun. 
like he's not it he doesn't take himself really seriously which i like yeah it just could have been executed a bit better because seeing the puppets as burn victims later on is like the most traumatizing Oh yeah, they're in, they're in a hospital. It's, they go to the burn ward. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> anyway, oh, oh, there was a lot me. of weird stuff in this movie. Yeah, but again, it's that it has that Burton charm. Though I, I like it. It could have been different, but I, I can't. I like think it. the one that marries his style with kids best is Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, because that's an animated film and um, it's about Halloween and stuff. So, it, I mean, even then, like and it's fun. I'll never, I'll never forget the nightmares of Nightmare for Christmas. Oh God, Edward Scissorhands used to terrify me as a kid. Yeah, I'll never forget Edward Scissorhands when he tries to eat the peas when he tries to eat a normal yeah, dinner. You, I genuinely used to get like PTSD from that movie. It freaked me out so much. What other what other films have you done that have terrified me? I've, uh, not, seen, I've not seen Sleepy Bat- Hollow. Batman, but that wasn't terrifying. No, because that's that's a comic book. Anyway, anyway, we, we keep avoiding talking about the film. <laughs> well, uh, once we're in the factory, I guess we should talk about Wonka. Um, Palumpas. I did. I. It was yeah. kind of strange. Um, again, I felt sick when um, he was like they mashed <laughs> up that maggot, and then he like. It's playing That's around in the with book, it. though. So I'm like, uh, props to them for being faithful to the book, more so than the original. Like they actually show the backstory, which is shown in the book. It's necessary. He pays them in cocoa beans. <laughs> yeah, he basically enslaves these small helpless people. Tiny and forces like, them to sing songs about children dying. Tiny. How many? Like they're operating heavy machinery, and then they're not even <laughs> the size of like someone's lower leg. Yeah. They're not even the height it's of weird. that. It's odd. And the fact that... <laughs> but they got great singing. Got the, great the, range. The, the, great singing voice. The kids after the first song and the parents start being like, why would they have that pre-rehearsed? Oh, yeah. And they start asking all these questions. And part of me likes that. But part of me is like, I, I feel like no one has ever questioned that. It's just part of the suspension of disbelief. And the fact that they felt the need to dress it in this movie, I was like, wait, what? Which makes me almost think like Tim Burton thinks interprets Wonka as a sociopath who's like perfectly designed these rooms to to prey on greedy children to to kind of like to find the best of them. It's almost like this isn't the real factory, and he's just making it all up, and he's created this whole section of the factory that's designed to filter these children down to one. It's weird. They do they do have little moments where Charlie clearly proves to like he has little moments with Wonka where he goes. Look when it, when they see like he goes whipped cream and he goes oh yeah like they have similar mentalities of what yeah. what sweets and candy should do like because they, they yeah, say they're very much can, on the same candy, wavelength candy doesn't have to make sense it's just about making people happy and yeah, then you have like fantasy and then you have uh, Viola going why do why do you need three meals in a piece of chewing gum yeah which is a good question why do you need yeah that's something I did like. Like Wonka's always like he's, he's, he doesn't learn the kids' names. He, he says to Mike TV, "You're mumbling." But but whenever he talks to Charlie, it's why do they keep bringing that nice. up? Like, I th- I have a theory about uh, Wonka, um, and turns out Mike TV is a genius because yeah, he's weird. he's like a technical genius. He rigged the system. Yeah, yeah and he rigged the, the oh yeah the, he did he the, statist- um, he like did the statistics, yeah, and he's not even interested in going to the factory. So I don't know why he did it. I don't know. He doesn't even like chocolate but, that much. 
Wonka has these cue cards, and I think him ignoring the kids oh, you, you, you and pretending love, to not hear them plays you into love, this. You love the cue cards. I, I love the cue cards because they add so much to his character. As much as I love Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka, and he's actually my favorite out of the two, he's, um, Wilder's is more fun. He's more relatable. He's more of this just, and he's got layers to him where he's like, yeah, you can tell that he's, he's got these underlying motives and Wilder ad- added that improvisation when they first met him. Mm, yeah. But in reality, he's a very 2D character compared to what he could have been. And this Wonka kind of has these cue cards. He, he has these weird, awkward interactions because he's, he's still basically a child in his mind. I got. I know it sounds weird, but I got like a Michael Jackson vibe, where it's like creepy, like Ooh, he never quite grew up. Okay. He never, um, yeah, so apologies know, but, to anyone but, who's listening. We're gonna have to cut Sunny short here. No, but the point is, he has that. He has that creepy vibe of like I never quite grew up, and he's got that high pitched voice, like "Hey, everybody!" <laughs> wow. And they paid to Johnny Depp. Why? Oh my god! Have we just cracked yeah, the code? He reminded he reminded me of Michael Jackson. Like I I don't like to talk about Michael Jackson, but have it's we just, true. Uh, I looked at him. We, and I was like, "This is like Michael Jackson." Have we just cracked the code? Yeah. Except I don't think Wonka's a creep. Controversial. I don't think he's a creep. I think he's just this strange man who never quite grew up, and who he never quite became to, a proper adult. Who likes to mutilate children? Oh, because he mutilates all of them. Yeah, dude. That, yeah, that did bother me. I was like, "Oh God!" Um, I like seeing what happened to the kids how, and the, how they learned the lesson a little, and how their parents started to be more strict. But at the same time, it's like, "Oh my God, he he hurt these children." When I when I when I I didn't remember the cue cards from when I was little or a kid or whatever. I when I saw him, I was like, "Peter Capaldi, Doctor Who," and I thought I thought Sonny's yeah. going to be lapping this up, loving it. Oh yeah, I could see that. That comparison because he's not he's like an well, alien. Well they both use they both alien. use cue cards, don't they? But it's just a it's yeah. just a thing that's yeah. like social awkward people in TV. It's like, okay. Um but I think the way Wonka says to the kids, sorry you're mumbling, or they say to him, uh oh, so what was it? So like, why would you do that? He just goes, You're all very short, aren't you? Like, what? You're all very short. Like, we're kids. He 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 bats off questions and he ignores them. <laughs> like when Mike TV says, "Why would the Umpa Lumpers have that song ready?" and he was like, "Improvisation." And you're oh, like, yeah. "What the?" He has all these well, weird improv- like explanations. It could be improvisation. Well, the way I see it is, and I like this. It, it's making it's making us think. What's Wonka up to? Like he's he's batted off all these questions. He's got these pre-prepared segments about children being songs that he's taught to the Umpa Lumpers about children being like mutilated the, these like, specific ch- children because yeah, they use their names and she's just like fill in their name and find some rhyming words and i think it's because and it's made clear that it's all part of his plan to find yeah. an heir and that's why he's so distracted he's not thinking about the tour he doesn't care about again i also get an elon musk vibe from him he's this creative genius who only cares about his work he doesn't have time for all these niceties and and the press and and giving people know, tours. Elon Musk, Elon Musk does a lot of press. Yeah, but the way he talks to people, he's not like other CEOs where he's like planned what he said and he knows what he's going to do. And yeah, I'll be, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's very unique. And, and from Wonka, he's like, he's this creative genius, but he's got underlying motives and he's really not actually that interested in this tour or anything. So he just zones out or, or has cue cards or changes the subject whenever someone tries to 
dig into him more and figure out what he's doing. I, so I, I like thought, that. I thought it would have been funny if they cut back, you know, when he's having a flashback and he, and they just cut back to people looking at him. He stood there completely catatonic. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> Cause then that. he goes, sorry, I'm having a flashback. And he goes, do they happen often? And he goes, yeah, yeah I made note of that quote. <laughs> Increasingly. <laughs> increasingly especially just, today and i was like oh okay and i just walked i didn't i like I, I love the chocolate river sequence from the original this one was a bit more like it just looks like a roller coaster i was like uh. yeah one thing i will say about this one is wonka's reaction in the book is like he makes jokes like gene wilder's dialogue from the original film was taken directly from the book yeah uh, we can't, he could go to the fudge room that would taste terrible that kind of stuff he kind of makes jokes like he's trying to reassure his guests a bit but he's maybe secretly a bit worried whereas this one could just kind of looks on in like weird pleasure at these kids being like destroyed and you're like oh god it's like it's like he, he kind of grins he, he, cl- he clearly doesn't like parents but then in a certain like he also doesn't like kids yeah. he doesn't like anyone it's like that's what was, yeah he's like this weird creative genius that only cares about his work and his umpa-lumpas <laughs> and it comes across and because he's, he's i mean he's social he's socially isolated for 20 years he's 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 got the mind of a child but i and while that rubs me the wrong way because i'm like wonka should be this great man who's really eccentric and fun i also quite like this as an interpretation of his character and i it, still prefer wilders but i like this interpretation of him being a massive man child who couldn't care less about anyone this is a com- this is a complaint i have of both yeah, adaptations is you know how they say he's like he's dying and needs to find an heir. Yeah, both both Gene Wilder and Johnny Depp look at <laughs> uh, look perfect health. Like this, it's it more bugs me in the in the Gene Wilder one because he literally says in the Great Glass, "I'm dying," and he looks the spit like <laughs> perfect health. And they do like make it a bit better in this one where they go, "He found a gray hair," and he. And he's not—he's not like replacing him with Charlie. He's—he's like gonna yeah. not, not groom him. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh Jesus! Um, um, back to the Michael Jackson comparison. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so he goes. Oh, God. He, find, he, he finds the grey hair, and um, and then he goes, yeah. "Oh, I need to get an heir. I needed you hair." I hated that joke. I, I think I think that was one of my blackout moments as well. Yeah, it was. Should yeah. we talk about the uh, <laughs> mutilation of these poor children? Uh, I didn't like the yes. sequence. The, the sequence where Gus's glue like starts like he like stumbles through steps on a chocolate bar. He's like a he's like a werewolf uh. like transforming, and then like he's like he's like a creature from the Black Lagoon like gobbling up. I mean, yeah, this chocolate, and he's like. <laughs> it's that characterization like again. That, that extreme weight. The fact that we find as an audience him so repulsive shows that Burton did a good job. And to me. And the actor. I was like and then the way it was edited, like there was like the camera was moving weirdly, it was cu- cutting a lot, and he was like <sighs> like it was like He's was the like, kind of person Ooh. that you just want to grab and be like, just stop. Just and then stop. He, stop and then he falls like in. <laughs> and then he falls in. Then he falls in. And basically starts drowning. One thing I noticed in this movie more so than the original is the parents just don't do anything. <laughs> they, don't, they don't do anything do they at least in the yeah. in the first one in the in the uh other one they go oh no and he runs and like i think in the original one augustus gloop's mom or dad or, like runs over to him and tries to pull him out but he falls in before they can get there in this one she just goes she sees him and then like 30 seconds go by and she goes oh my god yeah like in the nut room veruca salt's dad is like he just, why couldn't he just climb he like that completely he, really loses, cared? he loses all brain function for like 
a good five minutes and then goes and then oh, really really just casually going through the keys like not that one not that one that no, and, and then he reluctantly walks down like your your daughter has just fallen on into a garbage into a pit that sets on fire yeah and he's like well they use needles down there the dude dude's more scared of the squirrels yeah than, than just going down there anyway and then they just push him anyway and i was like oh, okay i like that they use squirrels in this movie because i don't, the I don't know they use I, geese for some reason well no it's golden Golden eggs. In the book, it's yeah. In the in the book, it's um, it's squirrels, squirrels isn't it? Yeah. In the wild version, it's it's the geese. And I'm like, what? I well, guess it's because squirrels would have been a pain, especially without CGI. You can't to train. train. Okay, yeah. Well, they did for this movie. I, I saw the behind the scenes. They were like they did train some squirrels, but a lot of it was also CGI. You're telling me those squirrels are real? Some of them. They actually properly like actually train squirrels to do some of that. Some of them were real. Wow. Which, which I was like, why would you bother CGI, but whatever. Well, I mean, the CGI in the opening sequence where you see all the Wonka bars being made. I mean, I mean, like, come on, it was 2005, but like, I was just like, it just it seemed a bit great. much. Just seemed a bit much. I also expected it. I prefer the sequence in the original of the chocolate being made because it, yeah. it was, it was real. And it and it was like whoa, you could actually see. It. Whereas this in this one, it, it's CGI and it's really intriguing and it's very Burton. Like straight away, you know this movie's Burton with the Elfman score and the weird visuals and the way the chocolate's being made. All these weird contraptions that are overly complicated. It is strange. Yeah, the parachutes carry chocolate. There's like weird <laughs> glowing balls on the thing that presses the chocolate into shape, and they've got like claws to take each one individually. It's all way overthought, but I like that. And it felt very f- like fantasy, so it felt like that's what Wonka would do. But it also felt really dark and twisted, so it didn't felt like it fit. If if you're in the UK, it reminded me of uh, "You've Been Framed." You know, the like the little CGI. Oh yeah, bits in between where like they're messing around with the videotapes. It reminded me of that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the comparison is it's for true. America or any other country, but you know. Anyway, we get. Oh chocolate. yeah. That was weird. <laughs> again. We're getting off track. Um, it's it is weird. You can get um, real Wonka bars now. You can actually buy them. You, like, you, you used to be able to. They discontinued them for a long time, and that really upset me because I always wanted really? to get one. Yeah, when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. My big obsessions were Toy Story, Star Wars, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Batman. Tim Burton got to work on two of those, which makes me very jealous. What was the other obsession? Transformers. You couldn't get out for them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, Transformers. That was. Nice. I, I know more about it than you. Jeez, you you know more about me than me. Um, but what was I obsessed the, with? Just Clone Wars, Star Wars. You Clone Wars. You like Scooby Doo? I remember that. You really like yeah, Scooby-Doo. classic Warner Brothers Hanna Barbera cut. I ate them up like for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Literally, probably, <laughs> probably. I remember you used to have like stickers of them, and I used to have Buzz Lightyear pictures on my wall. Anyway. The, uh, we're giving a bit too much personal details. Welcome away, to the uh, welcome to the personal uh, welcome to the personal details podcast where we give away too much information. Like that's how uh, long we've been, yeah, like vloggers. <laughs> that's how long we've been friends. We can remember what each other's childhood rooms look like. Anyway, this yeah, one compartment. Well, what thing, are we talking I always about? Wanted one. Well, I always wanted one when I was a kid, and I we got some. I think we got some briefly, but I, then they just continued. Did you want that golden ticket? Yeah. Uh, but then they discontinued them. It's probably for health care violations or something, which would have been the most ironic probably. thing in the world. I remember getting it because they did other sweets as well. The, the everlasting gobstopper. 
Yeah, I'm having. I remember having one of them. Jesus nerds. Christ, they did nerds. Well, they 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 still do them. Yeah, that was weird. It's the only one they actually continue doing. But they don't. I don't think they have Wonka on them anymore. They used to, but I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. But the ever I remember this everlasting gobstopper. I got it. Right, I like held onto it for a, a while, and then we got to wherever we were going, and I had it, I took it out, and it was about the size of a of a, of a ping pong ball. <laughs> I was like, "How is a kid supposed to put this in, in their mouth?" It was like a choking hazard. I had like, I couldn't speak. It was like, and it doesn't. Oh it's God! Like them, I think, and they they're not everlasting, obviously, but you can't like like it, that was like that's like twelve hours night shift work at least to get through that do you know how you make an everlasting gobstopper just just make one out of concrete they'll never know coat it in a bit yeah. of sugar boom isn't it in the gene wilder one where it's like a weird it's not even a circle it's like this weird yeah who would put that in their mouth it's like that's probably gonna, that, that's that's it's what like they used to a tennis ball that's what they used for <laughs> piercings yeah jesus but um at least anyway. this one was a, was a sphere uh, what's what's after Augustus Gloop? Welcome to Gloop? the uh, Candy Podcast. What's uh, after Augustus Gloop? Uh, Violet. Violet Beauregard. Horrifying. Oh, God, Jesus. Apparently, they originally did that, with, I think, with practical effects on set, but Burton was like, I don't like this. I'm going to do it digital. I've got to say, I, thi- I think well, he misstepped there. We, we see the, the weird inflating belly button of a child. Oh, God, it's so weird. They couldn't have animated it more weird. Very strange, and then the umpulumpers like just jump on her and bounce off her. I was like, "Oh my They're god!" They're a whale of a time. They they hate these kids. They're laughing at them, pointing at them, singing songs about them, abusing them, and then one could just laughs and like claps along. <laughs> god, it's great. Her mom again. The mom does nothing. <laughs> I hate. Just, she's like probably the worst. Character. She's making goo goo eyes at Willy Wonka, and then he's like, "Please stop being creepy, lady." Because he's like, you can tell he's not interested, and he kind of freaks her out. Or she, he, she freaks him out, and well, he's she's, she's scared like, of her. She still gets weirded out, but she's still going for it. She's still like, uh, yeah, I know it's but, steady on. Yeah, when Violet started turning blue, first of all, that animation was horrific and scary, and weirdly like real. You could see yeah. it in her veins. It was horrible. It's like, ooh. In the like, original, she, she's like, like, she has like stretch marks. I was like, ooh, I hate. Yeah, I didn't like that sequence. Um, then the next one. I don't think I like. I don't think I liked any any of the sequences. I didn't like um the whole, the poor. I mean Veruca Salt. I mean she. Has I like I like Veruca. I liked all of them except Violet. But the Augustus Gloop one was the best choreographed, the best music. Yeah. Um, it had the, the tension. I did like the song. Well. I, my favorite song was the one after Violet's, not Violet, Veruca's Salt's horrible. You know. Me- more mauling by oh, yeah. mauling by squirrels. And then when it was all like Fleetwood Mac or the Beatles and stuff, that was a Yeah. I mean that that's just my that's music. The, that's to me it's like just the best thing about the movie is Elfman. Like the music. No doubt. Yeah. The music and the choreography. The production design's pretty good really really good as well. The yeah. props and, and stuff is all really cool. Even the visuals are great. I think they're they're an acquired taste, but they're still really good and effective like they still work in this universe it's just a different interpretation that i don't think quite fits yeah but definitely. i think i i praise them for for doing what they did giving it a go yeah because it, it made in the end it's not it's not it's not an uh, adaptation it's a, it's a, it's an interpretation uh, next week we're doing uh alice in wonderland by tim burton 
Oh God! We're not don't get me started on that. We're not actually doing oh, that because I don't, yeah, I, I don't want to do those ever. They're too weird. <laughs> not even not even the sequel one, which came out like ten years later. Was that the one where there was like a dragon and like I don't know what it was, but it had Sasha Baron Cohen as a uh, Father Time. Uh, anyway, I didn't like it. <laughs> I did. I didn't like those movies. I didn't. Anyway. Sorry, now Tim. he's now, now he's doing. You, uh, what's he doing now? Is it? I don't he know. is doing another one, isn't he? Is he? Oh no, he did oh, Dumbo. God. He did. He's not doing it. He's done. Dum- he did Dumbo. Not seen it. He did. He did Dumbo. Uh, yeah. What is he it with Dumbo. all these great directors doing Disney remakes? Robert Zemeckis is doing uh, Pinocchio. Yeah, John Favreau <laughs> did The Lion King, The Jungle Book. There's the Russo brothers doing Hercules, apparently weird like i don't think anyone actually likes them stop 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 making them yeah no well after the, definitely after the lot it was all right because i think it started with jungle book and people were like i know it yeah. started with tim burston and people were like eh. the and then it really, lion kick, king? really kicked off with um jungle book and then lion king people were just like what's the point of this it's so it was it wasn't a necessary film but what it did for the progression of vfx and everything was yeah amazing. of course if you look at the amazing. documentary it's like oh Incredible. my god like the mandalorian wouldn't exist without the lion king because john favreau yeah, said definitely. that he learned everything he learned on the on on the lion king so i'm, I'm still glad it exists but it was still no, necessary <laughs> it's unnecessary because you could just do it in a different film why would you just why would you just if even set uh, we're getting off track even here, do but, a sequel or something like yeah. anyway off topic Trick people. Do it. Here's an idea: do a documentary, and then reveal at the end it was all fake. That would be impressive. That it was all computer generated. I loved the way they made the Lion King. Anyway, like it was documentary style. But anyway, back to Willy Wonka. Pointless. Anyway, pointless, pointless film, but well done. As well as uh, it could, uh, as good as it could have been. I was in the cinema um, to see that. I I, I didn't have watched all of it. I want to watch it for the VFX. What are we talking um, about? Uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. I don't know. The Tim last Burton. the last one. Mike TV. Uh, Mike TV. Who is my least favorite child? I think out of all these characters, like, he was the most. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even care. That was what got me. He was like he didn't even care about any of this stuff. At least the other ones kind of were like you know awestruck. He was just like I don't care. I'm just going to destroy stuff. And Why is he Mike TV? He should be called Mike Video Game because he doesn't even watch TV. He plays video games. But you play video games on TV. Ah, yeah. Ah, but, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Mike VD. <laughs> video Game. Mike, Mike Video Game. Mike VD. Yeah. Um, not much to say about that whole sequence. Kind of well, just I, actually, else. No, actually, it was, um, this was strange because they had like clips from 2001. Yeah. A Space Odyssey, and uh, a few other classic films, or a couple of others. And I was like, well, who's this for? It's for kids who won't have seen, if they, even if they're interested in films, they wouldn't have seen I, 2001, A Space Odyssey, yeah. or, you know, or whatever they were doing. But I guess it's just Tim Burton going, I like this film. I, I take it as that there are going to be parents in the audience, so it's something for them. Yeah, but like, even then, like... And it was... Fine. If my mum was sat it. there, she'd be, she'd be going, well. Yeah. Uh, it was the worst song because it was uh, techno or whatever. 
it was weird. We had to see Deep Roy, who's the guy who plays the Umplumpers in. Oh, I feel so sorry for him. If you look at the behind the scenes, the amount he had to do for this movie, you know, every single Umplumper, they showed the Augustus Gloop sequence as an example. Yeah. When they stood on that like weird grassy ridge and all doing these dance together, he had to stand on that set. And instead of just doing the dance once and copying and pasting it along the line. Well, they did that a few times, didn't they? I don't know, they must what, have done well, what they what they did is they had him dance in every spot there's an umpa lumpa, do the same dance over and over like 10, 20 times, and then just composite it into one big image. And I was oh, because you know, I've made this man's life a little bit easier. Poor man. He literally had to beat every single umpa lumpa you saw dancing was him doing that dance again and again. I wonder what again. I wonder what he sounds like. Because Danny Elfman did the voices of all the umpalumpas. It wasn't him. Yeah, with the singing ones. I noticed that in the credits, because in the behind the scenes, he was like, I can't sing very well. Uh, said, well, um, why are you casting, mate? Come on. Yeah, he's like, I can't sing very well. And, you know, he wasn't the best, because he's not a singer, he's an actor. Fair enough. Like, but So I guess Danny Elford just ended up dubbing over him? I don't know. Well, he, well I think he was, he was dubbed over for all of it, because he's not, he's not, that's not, I don't think that's his voice for anything. Yeah. The narrator is not his voice because it's some other guy. That's some other guy. Every the few dialogue the Umplumpers do have, I don't think he has an accent like Deep Roy. Well, they don't speak. So Most of them don't the, speak. I think, what was there was one part where he's, I don't know. They kind of speak in some of the songs without singing, but I don't yeah, know. That, who we don't know who that is. I um, think that was Danny Elfman because he was credited as an Umplumpa voices for songs. Danny Elfman. Oh yeah. Let's just imagine him sitting in his recording studio and they're like, Danny, we need some voices. Quick. Okay. Quick, change Quick. the pitch on the on several voice tra- tracks and yeah. see what that does. <laughs> oh. They just layer them. Layer, layer, Danny, layer. Um, yeah, oh, but God. that that sequence was the one that was most reminiscent of the original movie. It felt very much like the original movie. The yes. like, TV stuff. And they kept it rather tame. It wasn't like Tim Burton-y, it was just kind of what you expect, which was fine. And then we get on to the aftermath of the factory. Oh, why would you, why would you show? Yeah. Why would you show the kids walking out? That's the, the I remember that burned into my brain as a kid, <laughs> seeing Veruxalt with no bones, just <laughs> wailing around. My TV comes out flat. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's Augustus Gloop is eating himself. I don't like. Does he turn into chocolate? Or is lick- what, yes, I was like, what is that about? Because in the book it, and in the songs, they say he's being turned into fudge. Like he's not just being coated in it; he's being turned into it. But then he still has like human skin and stuff. But but she said, stop eating. Yourself. Goes, I think it was something they put in the script, but weren't able to execute on screen, so it just ended up not making sense. Uh, Verocasol gets off lightly, just covering trash. Yeah, yeah, that was like, that should have come out horribly burnt. <laughs> well, no, because the incinerator wasn't on. Oh, God. And she's the only one who gets to come up as. All the other ones don't change. Yeah. Like, Augustus is still eating himself or whatever. Augustus, stop eating yourself. <laughs> yeah, please stop eating yourself. His dad's probably like, I'm going to abandon this kid because he's a freak now. Mike TV's dad. His, his dad just didn't do anything. He he was a he he was a depressed man. I felt sorry for him. Yep. Uh, uh, what else? Violet. Um, Violet. Violet. Just like she just like 
I'm amazed. She's loving it. Like brother, I'm more flexible. And then mom's like, I want to, I want we to. We also Smurf you. love, so uh, I don't think it's gonna work. You also look like a Smurf. I'm disowning you forever. But at least uh, Veruca Salt gets uh, told off once. Yeah, I gotta say, it's, it's the small victories. It's the the great glass elevator I really liked in this movie, and I liked it every time Wonka walked into it. I know it's a cheap joke, but I really I I laughed. It was funny. Or what? Or twice he does it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was funny. And I also liked his slight psychopathy when they were plummeting towards the ground and he was just casually like, boop. It's like in the tunnel sequence where everyone's panicking, like, where are we going? And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, which is amazing. Yeah, but he's, well, in, in the original film, that tunnel sequence was weird. I preferred the one in this where it was Oh, you like, see like maggots, what could projections you, yeah. of maggots and stuff. One could just sit there calmly in this one while everyone else is panicking. And he's like, we're going to do this. It shows there that is. this mad life, this crazy life that he's come accustomed to doesn't bother him. Same with the glass elevator. He's just like, oh, this button. And meanwhile, Grandpa Joe and Charlie are like, oh my God, we're going to die. Okay. So after the fact, uh, we're the legend, Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee is in this film. Yes. Who, yeah, is, who is also in another is in Sleepy Hollow with um Tim Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which is a that's sort of a homage to his Hammer Horror films, which Christopher Lee was, you know, obviously Dracula in a lot of them, yeah, and uh, and then I guess they just brought him back for this one because you know why not? <laughs> I, I I really liked him in this movie. He was he's good. His, char- his character was unnecessary. He's good, but uh, yeah. Um, I like the scrapbook that he kept of all his son's stuff. Like, if this character oh, yeah. had to be in there, they did it well. Yeah, like you show, like they do show he regretted ostracizing yeah. him because he has all the the newspaper clippings. I just think it takes away from the mystery of Willy Wonka. Like, you don't know why he's this eccentric man. You don't. What would push a man to do something this insane and be this mad? And and it, they kind of just say, "Oh, he didn't like his dad, and he had issues with candy and dentists." You're like, oh, that kind of ruins the mystery. And to an extent, like, he doesn't need to be. He is yeah. just this magician, like basically. Yeah, we like, want to keep him. What's a mystery. the point? What's the point of him saying he can't say the word parents without like he can't say it? It's yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bob's dad. Yeah. I don't, if they kept that stuff in, I wouldn't mind if they didn't have all this explanation because it would have added to his character. You're like, why is he like but then, that? But then it, then it just doesn't go anywhere and the film ends. <laughs> yeah. It's, God, it's weird. They, like, they go, it, they go it, to they like take the North the, Pole. Yeah. They take away the mystery of this man. They take away, because you want these great people to remain mysterious. Mm. And you want these great people. That's why you look up to them. That's why it's like Yoda. You don't know everything about him. You're like, what is this man? What's he about? And you never know. And it makes them look, it makes you look up to them. It makes you think, and it makes you intrigued by them. And we know everything about this guy now. And it's like, oh, we've got our obligatory uh, Star Wars reference in this episode. Yep. You gotta, you gotta get that. You gotta, you gotta get, get that Star Wars reference. Cause we get paid by Disney. Everyone listening, they pay yes, us. Um, we're Disney work. shills. We're Disney shills because we praise. Star Wars and don't talk negatively about it because my God, we actually liked some of the movies that were new. Oh my God! And, please, and we, um, please, we have please, been complaining. Uh, we, have, we have been complaining about this film, but we, I, I did, I did, I was entertained. I didn't want go on like on the internet going, oh my God, why, why would anyone like yeah, this more than the- people? People way overreacted to to their reaction of this film. I think 
I will never understand why they made Johnny Depp look completely different to what Johnny Depp normally looks yeah, like. Yeah, that was my biggest issue. Wonka, the way Wonka was executed in this film was my biggest issue, but everything else was fine. Like, it was a different, it was different, it was interesting. It it's was a unique. style, it's it. a different style. Is it, so it's different. I think the script's great. It's just that Tim Burton's style doesn't always mesh with, you know, a, what is a children's book, you know? Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's Again, it's like, I watched it as a kid and I liked it. And I found some of the sequences weird and creepy and scary, but I still really liked it. So he did his job well. Um, there are a few narrative things that bother me. Like, if you are going to establish Willy Wonka's dad, at least have him in the factory at the end with the family. Like, don't leave him alone. And that, bring him back. Let him stay with, yeah, let him stay with Wonka and Charlie's family. Make him part of the family. Have have some kind of like nice ending to that story. He can be in bed with the other old people. Oh God! (laughs) Well, he can be sandwiched in the middle. Yeah, that would actually be quite funny. Well, the I last think. thing... If he, if he popped this, his head from under the sheet and was like, I'm still here. <laughs> this this really made me laugh because I have the mind of a toddler. Um, the last oh, thing God. Christopher <laughs> Lee says in this film is, Willy, and then... <laughs> wow. And then, and then they just... And then they embrace, and then it fades to black, and then the film ends. And I was like, okay. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, the, yeah, they go to that like weird Thanksgiving dinner or something, and... No, it's Zoom like Christmas, Christmas dinner. Yeah, and then your blub is there with a the book. At least I'm not eating cabbage. Yeah, that's nice. They've got giant sugar shakers over them to simulate snow, which I thought was quite <laughs> that, that was funny. Uh, and I really like that final shot. The music, the, the narration ending, seeing them all together, it was, it, it, I felt more than the ending of the Does original. the Umpa Lumpa wink, the narrator one? I don't Does know. Wink? Does he wink at the camera? He kind of has that knowing look. Like he takes his glasses off and looks at the camera. He kind of, but it, it was, was a really quite, nice ending. There were there were some funny visual things with the umpalumpas, weren't there? Like he has a his psychiatrist is an umpalumpa. Like he just employs them to do literally yeah, anything. There's, there's a there's a there's an umpalumpa woman at the desk. Oh, yeah, the secretary, the secretary umpalumpa in, in the uh, dressed as a woman. That was quite funny. Uh, and then when uh, this wasn't open up, but when they're shaving the sheep at one point, you just like ignore that. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he's whipping can, cows he's, and shaving sheep. You can show the, he goes, they all look at the cow being whipped. Yeah. And he's like, horribly. In a like, cream. horrible harness whip, death trap. Whipped cream. Ha. Huh? And then like, they see like cotton candy and it, it's like shaving and shaving. That's the line he doesn't want people to yeah. see. <laughs> so this is a man of uh, Not the animal morals. abuse. Yeah. Fudge Mountain. I've, that just before that, that was a reference to the original book as well because they mentioned really? that in the book. It's got, it's so I got thought a bloody that was mountain nice. in there. I was like, yeah, made of fudge. I was like, oh, that's cool. So um, I think we've said everything. We've said everything. In the end, it's a great movie. I think it 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 suffered because people refused to take off those nostalgia goggles about the original, which we have done because we've spent an hour complaining about it. Yeah, but I grew up with both, and I have complaints about both. Yeah, uh, but in the end, they're both great movies, and I don't necessarily prefer one over the other. If I had to pick one, if you twisted my arm, I'd be like, okay, the Wilder version. If I could only watch one version of this movie, it would be the Wilder version. I wouldn't want to show this to my kids. Yeah, I definitely show my kids the original first, and then maybe when they get a bit older, show them this one because it it's kind of freaky. And I it mean, actually, I make mean, much kids sense will get to scared children. by kids will get scared by anything. Yeah. 
Like, One thing I'll never show them is Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> like, I, I yeah. when I was a kid, I got scared by tons of stuff. My cousin, he's scared of Star Wars. What, what instance comes to mind? What? <laughs> what? Are you thinking of... What, is this what, me? What, what instance of you being scared of a movie that just made me go, why? But I, oh, I'm guilty of it. The cheese. Yeah, yeah. Oh. In Diary of a Wimpy Kid, that was great. I was we watched abs- that movie and I it freaked you out so much. I was like, why is a piece of It was the way they filmed it. It was like, because it was moldy. And I, you know, I don't, like, I don't like bad food. To be fair, it's kind of say with me, the weird palace chocolate sequence in this. It's not actually that ominous, but the way Tim Burton had it made it feel like, oh, that's creepy. I thought you were going to say um, the tomato sauce advert for something oh, that yeah. scares me. When your dog be on Alex? <laughs> that's for another podcast. If we get a yeah. thousand dollars on patreon if we do a patreon eventually, <laughs> if we I'll, do a tell, patreon. I'll tell the domio story that's a good motivation <laughs> if you're not from the uk uh domio is a uh, tomato sauce brand the mascot's a creepy like muppets puppet guy they've not done an advert for domio in ages well <laughs> I, can't, I can't say it's a big loss yeah big loss. maybe people maybe too many people had experiences like yours Shall we move on? What do you give we this shall. film after out of? Well, and let's not do ratings. Do you like? Would you recommend this if you're a fan of Tim Burton? If you're a fan of Tim Burton's other work, I recommend this. If you're a fan of the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I recommend this. If you've only watched the original and are expecting something like that, I still recommend this film. Clear. Don't don't yeah don't go into it thinking this is going to be the same. Don't go into it. If you've not read the book, but you've only watched the original film, know that the original film wasn't actually very loyal to the book at all. And this, if anything, this is more loyal and more of a adaptation rather than an interpretation. So, um, but if you don't like either, just read the book. Just read the book. It's a good book. Kids. Give you, I mean, if you're, a, I mean, I wouldn't say if you're like 40 years old, read, you know, I've never read oh, it. I'll read it's it. A book. No, read it to your children, 40-year-old people who are listening to this. Yeah. But only your own children. Don't just go out and like stop reading the books. Well, if you're people. a teacher, well, yeah. world's your anyway, uh, If I had to give a definitive, should you watch this movie, then yes. Like, of course I, yeah, watch it. Wow, we're Enjoy on a hot it. streak. This is going to be like, if you've listened to the first three episodes of this, you're going to be very confused. <laughs> yeah. The Godfather trilogy. Wait, Charlie and Chocolate, what? <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, variety is the spice of life. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, just so you know, this is a one-off. We're not going to do all of Tim Burton's films like we did no. The Godfather in Order. We might do a trilogy later. Yeah, on we're going to try and do. Yeah, I think we've done enough of like one thing with The Godfather. We need to do some more individual films. We're going to do one-offs, creators. and then eventually we're going to. I don't know. Maybe we'll do another trilogy of episodes. We might do a Star War or a Star Trek or a I don't know. Well, that would be like Back Star to the Future, Future Jurassic Back Park. Back to the Future. Oh no, do we have to do Jurassic Park? <laughs> yeah, Can we just do the first one. Maybe not. Maybe only the first one in Jurassic World. Because, <laughs> yeah, Alan, that's it. That's Alan. a that's a reference. Okay, should we move on to our next segment? Yes. Do you, do want- you want? Who wants to? Should I go or? I think I'll go. Okay, okay. With mine, so it's calm down, Kubrick time, everyone. Oh, you're gonna have an I'm really What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm. Oh wow. Okay, 
so today I want to talk about this week. I want to talk about people's over. They expect too much from like TV and film in terms of writing. Like everyone's a everyone's an armchair critic now because like because yeah. of YouTube and stuff. Everyone knows you know has like you know an understanding of you know structure. Like you can watch you know show channels like um, Nerd Writer or Lessons from the Screen Play. Really good channels, and people can just go technically. To a lesser extent, you can do the same with Nostalgia Critic because you can go, or something like that. And people now understand, you know, structure, how to write dialogue and stuff, and what makes a story right, like Dan Harmon's story, story circle, stuff like that. And it's just like people need to relax. Okay, here's my example. Yeah. Game of Thrones, biggest thing on television, well, was until, well, we won't talk about that, but, <laughs> and it had, that had like branching storylines and they were like, you couldn't pinpoint a main character in it because there is no main character. Cause it's all, cause it's like three different stories or even 10 different stories or moving and moving towards one goal. And then, and people, and then that sort of like created a, this breed of more shows like that. You know, now you have, like HBO are creating so much more. And then when people, when something comes out that's like different, you know, a great example would be uh, The Mandalorian, which is just about the guy in the title, The Mandalorian. Yeah, people, it's a people, com- people complain when like the supporting characters aren't, oh. aren't, like, aren't fleshed out. It's like, why isn't there a Cara Dune episode? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we don't it's need like, one. <sighs> Yeah, we don't. Like it'd be cool. That, like it'd be cool later on down the line to have, you know, an episode about yeah. her or something. But the, you don't need it for the first season. It's like there's certainly need- become a culture to me of like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Game of Thrones. All these convoluted stories, Which having are all like great. big reveals. They're all great, but they they're a genre. People don't get that. They're a genre. They're a style. Just because you like it, that's like reading a fantasy novel and saying why isn't there more crime or drama in this it's like because it's not what it's not what it's supposed to be it's the not what Mandalorian isn't supposed, supposed to be, be there yeah yeah john favreau literally said i want every episode to be a mini movie kind of self-contained with maybe some kind of plot overall but i want you to be able to sit down watch an episode and enjoy it and you can't do that with game of thrones or breaking bad as easily because there's references to all these big storylines and you're like i just want to it's 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 more it's meant to be more of a casual fun viewing and i'll tell you why game of thrones is like that it's because george rr R. martin that's what his books are like exactly there's each yeah. chapter is its own short story like it's from the point there's like multiple point of views for a whole book and that that sort of carries over to the to the show and then you have stuff like westworld is a great example there's something that was influenced by that yeah. style of storytelling yeah. And I love and Westworld. I, it's my, probably one of my favorite TV shows ever. But it's, I recognize that it's it's in a whole different ballpark to The Mandalorian. I don't, I don't like, compare them what's, because what's they're another not comparable. Show that, you know, like um, Parks and Rec or The Office. Or yeah. Or Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, people, people are like, why, why, aren't, why aren't there more references to other episodes? Because they don't need to. It's like people complain about the 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 chronology of some episodes, like episodes that contradict each other or stuff like Star Trek. People take it way too seriously. I watched a Even a Star video. Trek's very episodic. Like, yeah. It's Star Trek is it's, built off episodes. I watched a great video recently. It's about, um, 
hacked by a guy through a channel called the Renegade Cut. And he talked about um, static generations. And he sort of talked about how people now want um, everything to has to be canon. Everything has to... Yeah. You have to stick to this canon. And it, that just destroys creativity. Because if I had yeah. to, if I had to write a Star Trek show and I had to, you know, watch every episode, start read every book and go, okay, so I can't use, if I'm restricted by, it's like, um, in the last Jedi, people were like, hyperspace doesn't work that way when Holdo oh, does the Holdo maneuver. It's like, well, well, what would you, what do you want? What the, the rebels yeah, just have a like, big laser. It, that's one of my big points. A lot of Star Wars fans are like, that doesn't make sense. In Star Wars, the law doesn't determine the story. The story and the creatives determine the law. That's yeah, what it's all exactly. Been. In the original film, the Force was just for mind tricks and choking. In Episode Five, Luke uses it to move objects. In Episode Six, he uses Luke is able to use Force choke, even though it's supposed to be a dark side ability. The Emperor uses Force lightning. Every single there's movie ghosts on the mythology. Yeah, there's ghosts that come out of nowhere. But the fans back then weren't going. This doesn't fit the established law. The, the law is always being expanded and, and established. That's the point. There's of a these magic stories. cave on a swamp planet. Where he fights yeah. himself, like, like come on. and that's cool. Like, I watch these things and I go, I didn't know that could happen. That's awesome. Like, people complain about Yoda using Force Lightning in Episode Eight, and you're like, but that's cool. Why would it bother but, you? Yeah. He didn't like, really use it though, does he? Well, he I calls on like I wouldn't, some I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call that Force Lightning anyway. That was getting off topic. Yeah, but 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 the, but like it. Oh, it, it doesn't matter whether like that doesn't fit canon. And that's not the law. It's like the law isn't set in stone. Don't risk good, fun storytelling for that kind of stuff. Yes, if there's a direct contradiction, like if if Darth Vader's supposed to be dead and he walked on screen in Episode Eight, and he, and there was no explanation, then <laughs> yeah. yes, that's like okay, that's the point where the you're breaking the law so much that you're ruining the story. But people acted like the Holdo maneuver was ruining the story. They, they acted like Leia using the Force was ruining the story, and you're like, God, Jesus. No, yeah, people, people make fun of it. Like, like wh- why? When she, when, she, when she like, it's like, oh, she looks like Mary Poppins. It's like, okay, this cool. It always made sense to me. If an object starts moving in space, it never stops. All Leia would have to do. I'm getting off track here, but she would just all she'd have to do is use the force ever so slightly to pull herself, and she'd keep going. That's not unplausible. People are like, why is there sound in space in Star Wars? That's a genuine criticism. I'm like, because it's. Because it's not because it's Star Wars. It's yeah. your name. And it's um, a war in space. Like, <laughs> well, going back to <laughs> I, I mentioned Star Trek uh, uh, earlier. It was um, like people complain about Discovery not being. Ca- I don't like Discovery at all. I, just I don't mind it. I just think I think I just think it's bad in general. Like there are and there are blatant contradictions in that and I won't call it as well. Bad, I just I just don't I just don't like it. Like, but then people get hung up. Like, there's a guy on YouTube who will who takes clips and like compares them to clips from you know Next Generation or Deep Space Nine, and it's like, and it shows. Yeah, they aren't doing their homework, or because like some of it's a bit like, come on, guys, you yeah. you don't know that that something doesn't work that way. But then other way, sometimes it's just like, okay, yeah, it's like when people say Harrison Ford, what do you think about hand shooting first? It's like, I don't care. These people who make these movies and act in these movies aren't... Yeah, they're not... What happened was these people made some cool movies. The fans established a law. These people want to make more cool movies. And people get angry at them for going against the law that the fans established. It's like, no, it's, 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 it like when, it's like when people get like 
heartbroken when Mark Hamill comes out. He's like, and he doesn't know yeah. all the answers or the questions. It's like, yeah, well, of course he wouldn't because he's not like in what order are the twin suns from Tatooine, the order of the planet. And he's like, what? Uh, I don't know. Man. I just he he's like Mark Hamill is a fan of Star Wars as the movies. He loves a lot of people are just fans of the movies. They're, then there are it's, hyper it's fans. very it's very rare to find a hyper fan. Yeah, like there are places online full of them for every genre, but they're the ones who are the vocal minority who are like, this doesn't work. And you're like, well, it does. Just, yeah. I mean, because, because the guy who literally determines the, the, basically the gods of this universe said it does work this way. This is how it works. So in short, that's like arguing with science. My argument is stop complaining about things not being too complex or things being too simple. Just be happy if it's a good story. If it makes sense, yeah. if if they have an arc, if they can if you can apply the monomyth circle to it and it Which makes we'll sense. Which we'll get onto in a minute. I mean I mean obviously you don't obviously you don't want everything to be so formulaic and place so yeah, make different changes. Yeah. But if you can if you can track an arc in a in a in a film, if you I mean most people don't care, but if like if you want to if you want to learn and want to know stuff, if you can watch a film and track it and it makes sense and you don't have to, you know, fly through loops and browse Wikipedia or whatever, or a wiki constantly. If you can go, okay, so this character starts here and he changes and he does this. That's a, that's a character, right? You can understand. And, (laughs) and if you're like, well, why isn't every character in this, in this scene completely developed? Why isn't it? Why isn't everyone? Why do I know the backstory of everyone? It's like because you don't need to know. That's if it, yeah. The only character who matters is the protagonist. The other characters are supporting characters. It's like exactly, uh, exactly. It's like bar. when people go, "Who cares?" The, yeah. Or these like Rose in the in the Rise of Skywalker. It's like she she served a purpose. She was a plot device. Like I liked her character. She represented hope. A lot of people didn't. I don't know why. But again, I'm only going back to Star Wars because it's why I know the best. But. <laughs> Rose is Rose is the hope. She's Finn's reason for realizing that he should be with the resistance. And she, yes, she could have been used in the Rise of Skywalker more, but in the end, she her character had a purpose and she served it. That's why they made her death ambiguous. Like she could Rose have died. Died? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, at the end of the um, Last Jedi, they made her. I think they made her death ambiguous on purpose. So JJ could decide whether to bring her back or not. Because really, the reality is she was a plot device. A very well-written plot device, but a plot device nonetheless. And these yeah, she's, characters she's a, don't need 10 no, minutes not, of screen time or 15 not, minutes of screen time. She's not a plot device. She's a, she's a supporting she's a support, character. Yeah, she's a yeah. supporting character. It's like a Lando. Does he really get... like? Yes, he gets some screen time, but by episode six, like he's barely in it. Same with Han. Han's barely in episode six. He barely does anything. Lando's the one who blows up the Death Star. Like... But yeah. even even there, even those main characters get sidelined for the purpose of Luke and Vader. Yeah, they're the main characters, the Skywalkers. That's the point, and Leia to some extent. I think I think Han had served his purpose in Empire, and they just this had to bring him back. But you can still have him, still have him cool moments. Like there's cool moments with Han, exactly. But it's like the Godfather. It's really convoluted. There's so many characters go, to keep track of, but we don't those episodes. Yeah, go check out the last three episodes. There's it's clear, like, you don't need to know everything about Clemenza. You don't need to know everything about Frankie. You, they tell you what you need to know. And even that's a bit complicated and you have to read up on it. But not every movie has to be like that. 
like even the Godfather's moving into the realm of being a bit complicated and convoluted. And sometimes you just want to sit back and enjoy a film and not have every character be explained. I mean, you just got to think like characters aren't real, so they don't need to have. Yeah. They don't need I mean, to have as much as people that, don't want to hear it. They don't, they don't have to have. These people don't exist. People don't have to have, you know, proper. Like, unlike real people, characters don't need to have, you know, motivations to do stuff. I mean, if they're the protagonist, obviously, they need it, or the antagonist. Yeah. Or if they're a key part of this, of a story structure, they need a motivation to be just so you can justify what they're doing. But if they're a supporting character, they just need to show up and do whatever they're supposed to do and then leave. That kind of uh, ties in well to the next yeah, segment. Let's, let's move on to we like to call Sunny Soapbox. Hargy, hargy, I declare myself pickled tank. Shut your fucking mouth! Shut the fuck up, you cunt! Boy, that escalated quickly. My favorite segment. Oh, thank you. Actually, I was kidding. Um, it's my se- my segments. My favorite. Gosh dang it! You betrayed me. <laughs> um, <laughs> the this brings you on to story circles. Podcast is cancelled. <laughs> story circles. The hero's journey. That if you're a writer or a director or aspiring a storyteller, you'll, you'll probably a storyteller. Yeah, any kind of storyteller. You'll know about this stuff. Even if you're an anthropologist or a historian, you might know about this because it's studied. It's mm-hmm. the point that every every story. Every human, every story every human tells instinctively follows this circle to some extent. Every story. It's the study of the monomyth, isn't it? So it's like, yeah, myths, like you can, everything can instinctively boil down to this. Even if it varies, the core bones of something will be this structure. Yeah. And like we were saying about characters, there are a character, there's a main character, there's a side character, there's all these. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's archetypes like the the mentor, the uh, yeah, the, like the, the ghost is another one. Like the the one who's not quite bad but not quite good, and kind of acts as like the, the person, the hero. Look, you can look, do- looks at it and says, "I can be better than this person." There's tons of these archetypes. Again, looking at Star Wars, if you look at the main cast of episode f- of New Hope, yeah, that's all of it. Luke, Luke, I mean, Obi Wan. Yeah, I've got I've got a book here on it, which I highly recommend. I've I've started reading it quite a bit. Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces well, on the yeah, back. He's, he's, is, the, he's the guy who invented this. He's the grandfather he's, of this theory. Well, no, he, 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 he made the theory. Well, yeah, he, he theorized that all civilizations and all cultures, no matter what religion, race, you know, creed, call it, they all tell story, the same story veiled as something else. Star Wars is the same as the, as, as the, as the well, Bible. If you look at Greek myths and Rome, Roman myths, they, yeah. like loads of myths, like overlap. Yeah, he said like every story in the Bible, every story in Greek mythology, every every movie in the modern day follows this formula to some extent. So that's what he theorized. Um, but George Lucas is on the back of this book, and it clearly influences a lot. He said in the three decades yeah, I've discovered the hero with a thousand faces, it's continued to fascinate and inspire me. Joseph Campbell peers through centuries and shows us that we're all connected by a basic need to hear stories and understand ourselves. As a book, it's wonderful to read. As illumination to the human condition, it's a revelation. That pretty much sums it up. This man cracked the code, and it's something storytellers use to this day. Yeah. It's something we've always used naturally, but it helps to see it. And he said, you know, it can be applied to history, anthropology. People study this. It's, 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 people study it for psychology. 
Why do we tell these stories this way? Why is it like this? It's, and that's why a really, a story, no matter how complex or no matter how simple, if it hits these right points, people love it. It's the explanation for Star Wars. Again, it hits those archetypes perfectly. It was revolutionary for its setting and what it did, but at the same time, it's actually quite a simple story, but it works. It's, incre- it's incredibly like, it's, simple. Yeah, but it's nothing like The Godfather or Game of Thrones. They still follow these archetypes, just they kind of turn it into a big web of this stuff. The most simple of stories follow this thing, this 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 story circle and these archetypes, and that and the, the stories that follow it the best are the ones that become famous. I would say I would say most follow most, if not all, stories follow the circle. But something like Game of Thrones, which has multiple stories going on at the same time, it's like that is a story with multiple circles within it. Yeah. So they're all like, if you take the broad aspects of um, A Song of Ice and Fire, you know, mm. they're amazing books. Highly recommend. <laughs> I'm reading I've, them. I've not read them. I've not I, read them. I've not even finished Game of Thrones as a show because, to be honest, it wasn't my my forte. Anyway, but I'll say, if you took like the the broad things, like it would still all track in the circle, I, I think. But then within yeah. that, it's yeah. a, a circle for every individual character because they all have their own POV chapters. Like Tyrion will have his own circle, and John will have his own circle. Yeah, even the worst movies ever, like flipping whatever was it, Biodome. That's famously awful. Biodome. I've never I, heard of that. Yes, uh, people should look it up uh, if they haven't. But yeah, Biodome. Really weird. Shark Boy film. and Lava Girl. But, yeah. But they all Spy follow, kids. to some extent, these conventions. Now, the more you stray from this basic like eight-part structure, which I'll get into, the more it, it kind of feels less relatable to humans, which really makes sense. If you have a movie that goes everywhere, does everything, introduces different characters, no one seems to be... like. If you make a movie that fundamentally confuses our brains and the way we naturally tell stories, People it's not going like to succeed. And it explains it perfectly why Star, like Star Wars did it. Films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, Star Wars did it to the T. And that's why people related to it so much because it it taps into that part of our psyche that for some reason humans are born well, when, with this when, obsession with this when form George of storytelling this way. Star Wars, he started yeah. with this. He basically yeah. built everything out of this circle. So yeah, I mean, every great story, every great film, it sticks to this circle so closely. Dan Harmon, every episode of Rick and Morty, he does pretty much sticks to this circle which is why well, it's he's, he's got his own circle hasn't he yeah he's got he's got like his own modification in fact i've it's got like both a, of them here it's like a, it's like a simplified it's not it's it's still eight points but it's a simplified version yeah i think the hero's journey is 12 points and dan Harmon's is eight. Oh right um well actually there's a there's a in the latest episode at, at time of recording the space train episode of rick and moy which i've, I've just not seen watched, it yet it's fantastic that it's basically it's all meta commentary on storytelling in general, and they even have a reference to his story circle in the show. <laughs> There's a and reference it's, to it's it in the Simpsons fan- as well. It's fantastic. <laughs> They're walking down a corridor in the school, and briefly it says like uh, Mr. Harm or Dr. Harmon's story class, and it's him pointing at the board. With like Wait, a, is this a, is this like a, a recent episode? Fairly well, one of the more recent ones is him pointing on the board with a stick, and it's got the story circle on, which I thought was funny. I've been watching. Um, I, I googled 
because I was like, I'm not going to watch. I, I don't know where to start on Simpsons if I want to watch it again. Yeah. I just Googled Golden Age of Simpsons. And if you watch two to everything's on uh, Disney Plus. On Disney Plus. Yeah. So I'm watching two to nine, which is apparently the golden age. And I'm a few episodes into season two and it's already, I'm just howling with laughter constantly. The, the later seasons actually aren't that bad, in my opinion. Controversial. I would disagree because I read the description of the latest episode on there and it said <laughs> um, Marge gets rich by selling crystals. And I was like, or like goop, like uh, flipping. What's the no, name? No, just like crystals. I don't know what it, I don't know what it was going. It's like Marge it's gets probably rich for some by like selling crystals. Pseudoscience. Like, okay. Yeah, it's weird. But I like the Bounty Hunter episode, and that was in like season twenty-four or something. That was <laughs> one of my favorite episodes <laughs> ever. I loved people, it. It was hilarious. People, people take the Simpsons a bit too seriously now because, like, it's sort of become a parody of itself, hasn't it? Like, yeah, that's why I like. I like people are way too harsh on it. It's it's still good. It's just not as good as it used to be. Not well, the I mean, is. fantastic those the first episode the first those season two to nine fantastic i remember i was just scrolling through all those episodes and i was like oh that's a, a hilarious episode there was so many like classic episodes just compacted into this 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 period of time and i was like i was i was blown away i was like oh my god uh, welcome to Simpsons, the Simpsons podcast. We should you do an episode. We should do episode. <laughs> we should. Epi- we, we should do two episodes. We should do an episode on best Simpsons episode. Yeah, and then we should do an episode on worst and see what happens. We should. We should do maybe. Yeah, one on our favorites. One on the on the wor- on our worst. Uh, we should. But, um, yeah. We should. Um, write, leave a comment if you want to. Uh, Absolutely. If you want an episode in there, and then we won't get around to it until uh, whenever. Uh, until like five years from now. Anyway, the hero's journey and the story circle. Look them up. Uh, if you want, uh, I bet every episode of his, I'm going to tie it back. I'm going to salvage this. Oh my God. I bet every episode of the Simpsons follows it. Uh, <laughs> How did we get on to Simpsons? Uh, <laughs> Dan Harmon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Joseph Campbell. The hero with a thousand faces. Bit of a strange read. It's, it was written in the forties, fifties. So it's quite very English. Very jargony and very, yeah. Very, yeah. Uh, but you get the gist. <laughs> you don't have to be a, an English genius to figure yeah, out. I, I, I tried to read uh, another good book to read if you want to be a writer, John Truby's Anatomy of Story. That's very wordy. I was like, I think, I, I think I've got that one. I've not read it. The, the best one is uh, Stephen King's on writing. Oh, yeah. I've li- yeah. I got that's the audio book of that. It's that's a, such a good That's such great. Good Even though half of it's just a biography, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not interested in his backstory necessarily, you can you just kind of skip. go about halfway through. But I listen to it. It's fascinating. Even though I'm not a fan of Stephen King's books. But yeah. Really. Um, and if, if, you, if this kind of stuff intrigues you, uh, look up The Hero's Journey, 12 Steps, or, or The Hero's Journey, just The Hero's Journey. And also look up Dan Harmon's Story Circle and have a read about it. It's really interesting. If you're struggling and you want to write something, yeah. just print these off and stick them on your I wall. I mean, I started working on a script recently. Well, oh, yeah. I have been on and off for the past year or so. And I found that what I was writing was actually fitting to this story, which just goes to prove that it's in our psyche. But then I, after reading story circles, I revisited my script. I revisited my character archetypes. I revisited some of the plot points and it turned, and I was like, how can I, I didn't force it, but I was like, how can I make these guys fit into these archetypes a bit more? And how can I make the story flow in this way? And the idea became so much better and so much more fleshed out and so much more like, uh, this is a kind of story I could relate to. 
well, this is the kind of story I could enjoy watching more. So it surprised me. It helped me flesh out this 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 story that I thought I was convinced. I was like, this is pretty good, I guess. Not to toot my own horn, but I was like, I'd watch this. And then I read the story circle and the amount it added to the story and the amount of emotion that I, that as as a result, the amount of emotion and, and backstory that ended up going into the script because of me following these archetypes made it so, so much better. And I couldn't even, I hadn't even seen past that before. I will say, um, I was writing a script and it, well, it didn't go anywhere, but I, I, I was <laughs> writing, it didn't go anywhere because I, I sort of lost it. Just, I kept, cause I, yeah. I didn't plan it out. I put that stage a bit. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't plan it out at all. I just started writing and I got about 40 pages in and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? But I did, I did look at it and I did, I did look at these 40 pages and I did see I naturally, not well, I would say, but did naturally form yes, into the, yes, the exactly what, what, which is yeah, exactly what I found as well. Yeah. yeah. It, it hit the basics, but then the more complex stuff that people have established over the years and the, the, the character archetypes weren't quite there. But as soon as I applied them, it was like, wow, this could be a movie. You could see this on a screen. Or it, it took it from being like, this is an idea to this is a, this is a, proper like this could this be made story. if i wrote the script yeah. for it this is a story like, i could see this being on a screen not not to say it's like brilliant and it could be on the screen but like it could not, work not, as not a to film. say it's not to say it's a uh, best screenplay nomination Oscars. yeah but like before it it didn't quite feel like it could be a proper film and now it feels like this this could feasibly exist if it yeah. if someone wanted to make it so no. it, i really recommend just if you're if you, uh, if you, if you want to make Sonny's script, uh, yeah, the bidding, uh, the, bidding, the, bidding the bidding starts at a hundred dollars <laughs> a page, uh, a page, yeah, um, um, and then and then uh, we go to Barbados and never come back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the plan. That's Should the we move on to the news? This just in. <laughs> I'm on. F- off! I'm on live telly. Oh, yeah, yeah, f- off! Out of it. I've only got one, but it's a pretty big one. I've um, got two I believe little you've got ones. a couple. Yeah. Got a couple of little ones. <laughs> it's like <laughs> countdown. Little ones. Uh, should, I, should I get my two little ones out of the way? Yeah. Okay, big news for me, because I cinematography and visuals is my bread and butter. Mm. I, I know people say sound is like, if you have bad sound, then your film's dreadful no matter what. But I don't like I, sound. I can kind of see that. But I, I don't like sound. It's not my thing. I don't, I'm not necessarily too fond of sound. Well, I am, but but I also know that even if you're not into sound, when it's off, you know it's off. Yeah, of course. Like, But, I, but it's the a, same with me, me as a Me as an aspiring filmmaker, I don't want... Like, if I, I wouldn't go into sound at all. It doesn't interest me. Like yeah. as much as you know, cinematography or directing or whatever. Anyway, yeah, Roger Deakins, the legendary cinematographer, who you know has done films like um, Fargo, Big Lebowski, basically any Coen Brothers film. <laughs> um, more recently, he did um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which was fantastic, and he did. 1917, which uh, came, say, out, uh, came out last year. Absolutely brilliant. That was good. I like that. Brilliant. He did Skyfall, my one of my favorite films. And he started a podcast. Huh. And it's basically him giving tips and tricks on being a cinematographer. Like literally everything. Is he, he just, just like, I'm getting old. 
I've got to give away all my secrets. Well, I don't know. He's got nothing else to do. He's sucking doors. Yeah. He's like, well, yeah. He's, he's, like he's, us, yeah. he's getting on our turf. Uh, Roger, Roger, stop it. Get back. Do, do your own job. So he's seven episodes, seven episodes, and they're about, they range from half an hour to an hour and a half. So they're not long. So he's got one of one episode's on uh, location scouting, another's on practical lighting, another's on composition. Wow. Another's on lens. I mean, he's choices. just giving this stuff away. Giving it away, you can just—it's on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, get, get a Patreon. People Spot- would pay for this. What's the man doing? Spotify. Well, I mean, dude, he's probably made bank from. Get a masterclass. Come on, Roger. Business mindset. Um, yeah, working together. It's just all these amazing little tips. Um, definitely give it a listen if you're interested. I know. I, I didn't am. even know it existed. So I'll- well, I didn't know it existed until I went on Reddit and it said. This is not a drill. Roger Deakins has started a podcast. That's crazy. We li- we I live say in- the name. It's Team Deakins. So we live in a world where this man is podcasting. I mean, like, I just I'm just gonna let that sink in. Say we will about a global pandemic, but film people are lapping this up on. <laughs> I've just scrolled down, and there's um, there's another podcast here. Oh, uh, an actor Russell Tovey, who uh, is a famous guy in England. Well, semi. Yeah. I don't know how famous he is really. He's got a podcast apparently as well. Wow. Anyway, next news. I think news, I've seen that on BBC Sounds. Anyway. Well, whatever it is. Next news. Uh, Tom Cruise and Elon Musk are going to shoot a film in outer space. Please don't do that because what would you make? Uh, it will be interesting. It will it, be a first. Yeah, if it gets made, I, I doubt it will get made. Yeah, but it'll be interesting. It'll be a first. I'll say that. Uh, but I can't. What, but I yeah, mean, but what can you make? You I'm can't not make willing it. to say. Yeah, I'm not willing to say too much about it yet because we have literally no idea about anything. But at the same time, it's like okay, like that's that's neat. It's a neat idea. But why else should I care? <laughs> yeah, but we don't even we can't even send you know a hundred people in space. Not like a film crew. Tom Cruise, Elon Musk to I don't know take pictures for his Instagram or oh, something. God, I'd, I'd hate and to be part of a film crew in space. That'd be a nightmare. I would. I would just go. See you later. I'd be like the guy just, who just uh, let thousands of pounds worth of equipment float off. Oh Jesus! I'd be no. like the I'd be like the guy who uh, saw Porgs in Last Jedi and just went, "See you later." <laughs> oh. How Anyway, that's my news. What a strange, uh, so what a strange idea. L- It'll be interesting. Leave a, leave a comment if you think Tom Cruise should go to space and never come back. I think or, they should do it. Well, it's a great it. idea. I think you. I think he might do, you know, Spock death style. He might just get when he dies, yeah. his coffin will just go into space. That's Elon Musk. That's what he's doing. Have you seen him? Tom Cruise does all his own stunts, so I worry about him in space. I worry. Well, he probably, he probably try to breathe breathe the air in space. Well, there is no air in space. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's the problem, guys. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Have you seen? It? I'm going to go crazy. He'd attempt to breathe a lack of air. Um, yeah. Big bit of news I've got. Uh, Taika Waititi. Oh, that guy. yeah, baby. Finally actually confirmed to be working on a Star Wars feature film. Well, no, I, th- um, I think we knew, but then... Well, no, we knew he was we, working I on a project. I think we knew he was working on a project, but we didn't but, know it was so, going to be a feature. So Lucasfilm announced it was a project, and now they've just yeah. announced that it's a film. I, uh, yeah. Um, Academy Award nominee Christy, Christy Wilson Cairns. 1917, um, co-writer. And she's doing the new Edgar Wright film. She's going to be co-writing it with Taika. So maybe she'll balance out the uh, his more absurdity stuff. 
Yeah, I like his absurdity. I like his comedy, but at the same time, Star Wars still has to remain a bit grounded. Yeah. Like in Mandalorian, he said that Favreau and Filoni had to ground him a bit and keep him from going a bit too far. Yeah. Because still, his episodes were my favorites. Like they were so good. His, his, his episode. Yeah. They were great. So uh, yeah. He, he only does the, the finale, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, seven and eight, I thought. No, he does. No, Deborah Chow does, um, seven. Did she? Yeah. Huh. Her episodes are fantastic. Three and seven, fantastic. I liked all the episodes. Really, I don't really have a, yeah. a complaint. I don't have a complaint. Even I think people don't like five, which was the one where they go to tattoo. I don't know. I really, I just, lo- I love all of them. We love the Mandalorian here on. Yeah, Taking I just love it all. I don't even like saying which ones are. They were, they were all great. People, I think I, I did read online. People didn't like the uh, the young bounty hunter, you know, with the ring, the ear, the earring. I was like. I just like, uh, he's not supposed to be likable. <laughs> it's like, yeah. they, they say he's like, you know, Pepega, um, Han Solo or something. It's like, well, yeah. That's the point. He was trying too hard. That's the point. It's like, people he was like those people who, who stroll about and they're like, mm, we're the best. He, he was basically that. He, he please see, he please see my, the previous segment where we talked about people yeah. taking things too seriously. Just have a bit of if fun. If you miss that and skipped ahead, naughty, uh, go back. Yeah, we need that. Sweet, like sweet, Jeff uh, Goldblum, then. I sounded like Jeff Goldblum. You sounded like you do, you uh, doing a um, hmm. uh, <laughs> you just becoming Jeff Goldblum for a minute. Then, yeah. I actually actually just did the hand gestures at the same time. I think I just I've been watching too much the world according to Jeff Goldblum on Disney Plus. Watch it now. Anyway, Taika Waititi. What do you think? He's not doing a trilogy. I think he's just doing a film. So it's yeah, it not- says here feature film. So I'm really looking forward to it. Just like Ryan Johnson's trilogy. Well, what do you think? What What do you think he might do? <sighs> I could, hmm. I could see him doing like maybe a Master Apprentice Jedi kind of fun dynamic adventure, or maybe just yeah, something completely um, disconnected from the Force. That's actually quite a good um, because um, Hunt for the Wielder People, which was one of his films, which is brilliant. Everyone will go and watch yeah. it. We might do an episode on it. We will do an episode on it. Um, <laughs> that's a That's a very you know, mentor kid dynamic, and that would be cool, yeah. maybe. But I, think, I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah, he's very good at telling emotional stories with comedy and character interaction. So seeing a master apprentice relationship would be good. He's very good. At, he's very good at emotion. Yeah, you watch his other films, either through Jedi or through maybe they're like a team of smugglers. I think he would work very well in a very personal movie. That's not necessarily got a gang of crew. Maybe, maybe you work better in like, um, not force stuff. Like, you know, yeah, the more like Han Solo stuff. I feel like he's the kind of person who would take it too far to the point where the fans would get angry again. And we don't want that. Which I don't please. mind. I, yeah. Please stop shouting Star Wars fans, but I do I, want, I wouldn't I mean, mind that. I like the, the, the expansion of the force and how it can be goofy. I think he'd do some really interesting stuff with it, but I think we should leave that to Ryan Johnson because he's, I loved his interpretation of because the force. apparently he's still doing, he's still doing his trilogy. <laughs> we yeah. don't know when. I mean, power to Lucasfilm because they didn't listen and they they're like George Lucas. He just kept making the prequels. He made the clone wars. They did. They did listen to when they fired Colin, Colin Drow and, uh, yeah, that's true. The Game of Thrones dudes and Phil Lord and Chris Miller. But they haven't fired this guy for the most controversial person. Yeah, ever. exactly. Bulldoze, like George Lucas did. The Clone Wars wouldn't exi- have existed if you listened to the fans. So, yeah, I think good will come of it if they just go. This is our direction. This is what we're doing. If you don't like it, go away. If you like it, come with us. Boom, done. I think what I want is 
I'd like, you know, people doing, you know, small scale films, you know, in yeah. the same vein of the Mandalorian as like one-offs in the style yeah, of the no Star Wars Sky, story. No more Skywalkers, no more and saga. Then, and then I'd get like the trilo- the trilogy people who are going to do trilogies, get them in to do like big stuff. Yeah. Because because if that like for whatever reason, if like Lucasfilm is saving, you know, like big big canon moments for a what do you call it, like books or comics. Like who why would you choose to do it in a book or a comic or a video game or something? When you could do it on the big screen. Go all out, do you know do do sword and sorcery style like do do Lord of the Rings but with lightsabers, do Jedi at the height of their power going absolutely crazy we'd like have te- 20 jedi versus 20 sith all masterfully practically choreographed just and then you know just have fun like that's what people want to yeah. see make a good in story. a world where solo is on the screen in a world where rogue one was on the screen why not have where, where which are stories that you know would easily work as a book or a comic or an animated show or a tv show yeah, solo definitely. Like that, that. That's that's probably the least cinematic story I've ever seen. <laughs> like I really liked it though. It's one of my favorites of the new ones. But if they're going to do that, do the do the old Republic, do Jedi versus Sith, do a Lord of the Rings style adventure set in that time period of Star Wars. Like, oh, I said off. Don't air. tell that in a book that no one's going to read. I said off 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 the record, off podcast, didn't I? I said, yeah. If I did a Star Wars film. I would go Mandalorian Wars. I would go Ma- Mandalorians versus Jedi, which is something. If you're a if you're a big Star Wars fan, I mean, I, I mean, we're basically like this is basically like the the taking on Hollywood slash Star Wars podcast. Yeah. Well, if you've watched the Mandalorian, then it's mentioned there. If you watch the Mandalorian, you know, the Mandalorian they fought the Je- Mandalorians fought Jedi like thousands of years ago. Like, wouldn't ever? I think everyone in their ma- in I think anyone sitting at home just wants to see Boba Fett fight Jedi, an army of Boba Fett's an army of Jedi. Make it compelling, make it big, just go all out. Make it the end game times three of Star Wars. Make it bigger than the Star the Skywalker saga. Yeah. I'd like to see the Jedi versus the Sith of the Old Republic because then we get more lightsaber battles and it would look a bit more like Lord of the Rings where you have two armies clashing. It'd well, look really I cool. Mean, you can have battlefields full of it. Whereas Mandalorians are kind of like flamethrowers and guns. Well, Mandalorian, yeah, like grappling hooks, blasters. It'd be awesome. I guess. L- yeah. Like they have their own. Uh, there's um, they have the dark saber, which is uh, if you've Moff Gideon has it at the end of the Mandalorian season one. Yeah. Imagine seeing a guy fight like a super, like the super leader of the Mandalorians, killing like fifty Jedi with like that. And we get more Jedi characters because people love Jedi, but there aren't that many Jedi characters. Yeah. And, and in but the prequels, people are like, they're all just background characters, but that's the point of the prequels. You can, but, but we want like developed Jedi characters. Maybe get some more aliens in there, not just like people. Yeah. I think, I think I trust Ryan if they give him something big to do something big and interesting. And as long as he's supervised with the law in some ways. I so maybe so it doesn't annoy the fans quite as much because I don't mind, but apparently it bothers people. Then yeah, yeah. Let him tell what he wants. Let him do what he wants, and let 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 Taika do what he wants. Taika, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. 
and if he's co-writing, I doubt, I doubt it'll be super. Like it won't be like it won't be like yeah. Thor Ragnarok or, or Thor: Love and Thunder, whatever that's going to be like. They'll they'll keep each other in check. I think the two writers. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, coming up to two hour mark again. So we better start winding down. Please don't yell at us for making this long. If I'm, I'm a fan of long podcasts. I love it when I can sit down and just listen for hours. But if you don't like that, let us know. So I guess that's it for this week. Next week it's the Breakfast Club, 1980s. John Hughes. We're going a bit different. Yeah, I've never seen it. So this this will be interesting. It'll be the first of these movies, apart from The Godfather Three. That have you seen it? Or I have seen. I think I saw it on TV. And I, but I have so seen. So this should I be interesting. Seen, I have seen a parody of it. Yeah, <laughs> they did a parody of it in Victorious. Yeah, that's years what I'm talking ago. about. Yeah, that was weird. We're we're showing we're two thousands. We're showing we're two thousands. Welcome kids. to the Disney cast, um, uh, Nickelodeon, mate. iCarly. Was it Nickelodeon? Yeah, oh, I same it guy Disney. did iCarly. Drake and Josh. Oh yeah, uh, he's doing uh, a bunch what, of SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Um, <laughs> I like <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, um, join us next week uh, for the Spencer. He's, he's from Icarly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ren and Stimpy. Adventure oh, uh, time. That, I'm going to this just off very fast. Uh, regular show. Um, Holy. Uh, oh, CBBS. What? What? <laughs> CBBC. Oh my god! I have so much to edit. <laughs> Oh Jesus! Anyway, what, you can um, keep this in. Yeah, that's the show, and that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that episodes are available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts: Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. You name it. Be sure to share this episode, tell your friends, and maybe even leave us a review. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hollywood Pod, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Taking on Hollywood and you'll find us. You can also follow me at Real Name Fake on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Flavor Day Film Club, if you want to check out my short films. Really appreciate it if you check it out. Thanks for listening and we hope you guys will join us next Friday for another edition of Taking on Hollywood. Please, we need the money. We need the money. Please, send money. Anyway, bye. See ya.